Now entering Nerdist.com. Greetings, Adventure Coteers. It's me, Work Juice player Hal Lublin. You may have heard rumors of the thrilling Adventure Hours doing a holiday show at the Theater at the Ace Hotel in L.A. on December 17th. Those rumors are true. And what you may not have heard is that that December 17th show is our final show before going on an indefinite hiatus. Yep, that December 17th show at the Ace will be the last new Beyond Belief, the last new Sparks Nevada, the last of everything for a very long time. Now look, we all love doing the show, but the cast and everyone else has got deservedly busy over the past couple years. And while Acker and Blacker have enjoyed stretching the boundaries of what a thrilling adventure hour can be since ending the monthly show in 2015, it's time for a good long break. So please, join us on December 17th at the Theater at the Ace Hotel for a farewell appearance. The Ace is a beautiful, big theater, and we want to fill it with enthusiastic adventure coteers, the fans who mean so much to us. You can find the link for tickets on all of our social media, that's at ThrillingADV on Twitter, on Facebook, and at workjuice.tumblr.com, or by searching the Ace Hotel calendar. And now, please enjoy this all-new episode. Now entering... Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writers Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 400 writers on the show, so go back and check the archives. I'm sure you'll find more creators and more shows that you're interested in. I'm a writer myself, having written with my partner Ben Acker for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, FX's Cassius and Clay, among others. We've also written comics from Marvel, Image, Dynamite, and more. We created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Maybe you'd like it. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more info. Let me know who you want to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. Like the color, only more so. Uh, And follow me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It always makes me feel good about myself. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Please welcome all these writers' assistants. Welcome, you guys. Uh, listen, let's start down here uh, with Megan. This, is, this panel is all your fault. <laughs> um, please tell the people who you are and also uh, what you are working on right now. Uh, and we're going to have you introduce yourself so that the podcast listener will know what your voices sound like. Hi, my name is Megan Metzger, and I currently work on the TV show When Calls the Heart for the Hallmark Channel. What season are you in? This is going to be our fourth season. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Jake Thomas, and I work on ABC's Notorious. This is the first season. I am Charlotte Lewis, and I am not working on a show currently, because Faking It on MTV was canceled, and that was what I was working on. <laughs> that was a great show. Though. That was a good show. Uh, my name is Dave Metzger, and I've worked on The Blacklist since season one. This is season four. I'm Joelle Cornette, uh, formerly Joelle Garfinkel. Uh, I'm currently script coordinator on uh, Jason Kadem's uh, Pure Genius, and uh, I have been a writer's assistant on Emerald City. Let's, let's talk about, uh, before we talk about sort of how you guys got into these coveted positions, uh, which is true. I mean, these, these are tough jobs to get, and, and they're also very mysterious jobs. So I'd like to hear, and, and again, Megan, let's start with you. 
what does the job entail? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? And then I feel like the rest of you can kind of chime in and say how it's the same or different. Um, Well, my job is a little bit odd because it's the Hallmark channel. So we we don't have as big of a budget as, say, my brother's job on maybe NBC. So I'm sort of writer's room assistant slash also showrunner's assistant part of the time. So I take notes. Um, for the writers, but I also schedule meetings and I also do writers' line counts for the script. So what does that mean? That means that for every time a script comes out, even if it's a revision, um, the top four highest line counts for actors need to be counted. So every line of dialogue, and a line is different than every sentence, it's every nine words needs to be counted and tallied to make sure that there's the appropriate number of lines in the script. <laughs> What? That is, yeah. Have any of you, the rest of you, heard of this before? No, no. no. That's literally crazy. I've worked so, on fifteen shows, and I have never. Yeah, never shows. Never ever yeah. heard that. Is that like a contract thing with the actors, or it's um, in partnership with um, Canada? So oh. that's why it's uh, yeah. Is so, it that the Americans have to have as many lines as the Canadians? Uh, it, it is. Yes, it's, or it's something the like opposite. that. Oh wow! It I'm is. Right. It is the opposite. They yes. have to be. Equal. Yes. Interesting. Huh. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this is the glamorous part of the yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> How many lines? Yeah. Um, and the, but you're also like you say you're doing uh, some person like assistant work, mm-hmm. assistant to the showrunner, which is separate to uh, room note taking and stuff yeah. like that. Yes. So we can we can sort of get into uh, parsing that in a minute. But mm-hmm. but the rest of you, what is the same? What is different? What does your day look like? Um, it's a lot of note taking, like Megan said, but also it's it's tracking story, especially like the serialized elements. There's because like there's a lot of things that change in between drafts in terms of you know backstory or timeline, and when we want to address those in later episodes, it's like Jake, are we anywhere close to where we used to be? And it's like well maybe, and then it's like we walk through it, and then we have to decide like whether to go back and change the draft, and I have to like let the writer know who's like out writing said episode that, hey, we need you to change it to this way. And it's a lot of just being in communication between the different writers who are, like, off to script or the ones that are in the room pitching ideas. Yeah, I mean, it feels like you are sort of the this central holder of information when you are the writer's yeah, assistant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How's that? Uh, well, I, so our show, you know, we're on season four, and we've had a lot of writers come and go. So... Um, there are often questions, especially with new writers, uh, who maybe they've seen every episode on Netflix, uh, or maybe they were watching it when it aired live, but there are so many tiny details and little clues that have been laid in the past. Uh, so it is my job to keep track of all that stuff and be able to kind of instantly answer, like, have we ever had a moment where they found a widget in a tree, there was a key in a bottle, and uh, <laughs> when was that? And I'm like, yeah, it was in 207. Here's, uh, you know, have we ever paid that off? We did pay that off at the end of season. So just being having all that information kind of ready to go to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of my job responsibility. I think it's also like always being on and catching everyone's joke pitches. I don't know if anyone else works on a comedy. Yeah, but I wanted to ask. I mean, I think you're the only one here who's worked in a comedy room, which is a very different animal. It's very, very, very different um, because all the writers are pitching jokes all at once and you have to sort of suss through and determine which ones are the funniest, um, which is not really your judgment call to make, but it also is your judgment call to make. Um, and so hours later, your showrunner could be like, hey, what was that joke that I pitched 
five hours ago and I have to scroll up in my notes and be like, fingers crossed I got that joke. Um, and yeah, nine out of ten times that joke is there, hopefully. <laughs> what is your technique? Like, let's dig in on some of this nerdy note-taking because it can be hard. You have a lot of voices talking in a room, right? You can have, you were saying before, the, there are 15 writers yeah. on, uh, on Blacklist. Yeah. You can have a lot of writers all pitching Material. So, how do you keep track of this stuff? What What are your individual techniques? Uh, well, I will say the very first time I was in a writer's room um, was when I was the writer's assistant. So I had no idea what the job entailed. I was just like, oh, they're the ones taking notes. Yeah. So I wrote down every single word that they said over the course of you know an eight-hour day. Uh, don't do that. That's yeah. uh, 60 yeah. pages worth of notes. Um, and your hands will be you know, very sore afterwards. Um, and so I think like with anything, the longer that you do it and stuff, you, um, you get a feel for for like what stuff lands, and uh, and so and you're able to kind of make uh, make those judgment calls a little bit easier. Yeah, the thing I always think is like um, take the notes that you would want to have access to if you were going to write the episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, it may seem on the surface like boy, it would be great if you had a perfect transcript of the entire conversation. But sometimes we're breaking an episode; it could take three or, or maybe even four weeks eight to ten hours a day to hand the writer that's going to go off and write that outline or that episode like 350 pages of transcript of how we landed where we landed is essentially useless so it's i think much better to just continuously like focus in on what things are landing what the showrunners responded to i think is a huge thing on our show the um Alternate pitches, I think, are good, but to make sure that they have a, a document that's really going to serve them when they go off to write the outline on the eventual episode. So how do you start to separate in your brain that the good from the bad? It uh, feels like it's a very intuitive job. I think the longer job. you're on yeah. a show, the longer you know how it works and what, like, at least with faking it, it figured out really quickly it's part jokes and part emotions Mm -hmm. and so like tracking those two things for me became the most important thing and then you know whenever the showrunner would come into the room bolding his reactions to everything that we had gone over so you can at the end of the day be like oh that was the reaction yeah i do the exact same thing bolding everything that the showrunners say yeah that's the that's where you get into like the transcript yeah it's like whenever the showrunner's in the room like if he says a joke you write that in word for word word for word and it's just like no matter what he says it always has to remain on the page that's the one thing i would add and also kind of like translating like this is kind of just going speaking to knowing the showrunners really well because there's a big difference on our show uh maybe he'll hear this and hate me but there's a big one of our showrunners will say like i get that and then other times she'll say yeah i get that and the first one means, uh, having known him a long time the first one means uh, that that's a good idea and we should move forward with it and the second one means we can't really do that i don't like it and being able to parse that and kind of clue the writer in and kind of help them play a little sure. defense and put, spend the, their energy on the things that landed and not on the things that didn't land uh, also, I think the biggest indicator is when someone is taking out a marker to write it on a card or the board, then really pay attention to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If it's on the board, it definitely needs to be in the notes. What do you think the showrunner's expectations of you as the writer's assistant are? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think that definitely varies from show to show. Well, uh, specifically on the shows that you are working on now or have most, most recently worked on. Yeah. I mean... 
for faking it, it was definitely a lot. It was a small room, really small room. Uh, it was five writers and the showrunner and me. So it was not a lot of voices. So I was definitely expected to be an active participant in the room, which was really different than I was at Heart, at Heart of Dixie before that, which was like totally, totally different experience. It was a lot more listening and mm-hmm. a lot more of the, the gatekeeping and you know, medical ideas and all that fun stuff. But it is sort of, you have to be able to take down all the words, process it, and simultaneously be thinking of your own pitches. That was what was sort of expected of me. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot, but it's also a really exciting opportunity to sure. look great. <laughs> <laughs> and I think someone said it, actually. I think the, the main job of a writer's assistant is to, like, prepare the writers to write their episodes. So, like, as soon as, like, the episode is broken, um, you usually, I know in the shows that I've worked on, and you guys can attest to it, too, but you prepare a packet for them that has all the notes, um, a bigger, like, beat sheet that they can essentially then turn it into an outline right away. And the beat sheet, again, is based on stuff that was done the in board, the board. Yeah. yeah. But um, off the board, it's like, there's a, there's a moment before all our episodes where the writer pitches our showrunner the actual episode beat by beat based on what's on the board. But, like, what a, what's on the board could be, like, a sentence long. But, of course, like, when they're pitching it, they're getting more enthused, and the showrunner has pitches off of it. And something that I bet, think my showrunner expects of me is to, you know, write down everything that is said for each and every beat so that they can use either the showrunner's, like, dialogue pitches or someone else in the room's dialogue pitches just so it can elaborate those beats a little bit more for the outline. Yeah, my, my goal when the writer sent off to script is to be able to hand them a document preferably if there's been enough time in final draft that is a pretty serviceable outline uh, for the episode mm-hmm. that they could theoretically send off to studio and network if they had to so that they can focus on not remembering what happened but focus on art and making the outline play the beats and the emotion better so that's I think the goal and so it's if you that is not what's written on the board what's written on the board is a few words to Mm -hmm. signal your memory of what was discussed but the outline should read like someone who was not in the room and would not understand like she runs to the store really means translate it out so that anyone could read it and understand what happens Mm -hmm. so Uh, I think it's interesting I mean Charlotte brought up this this idea of being expected to contribute and I think this is a big thing for a lot of writer's assistants like this this is what you want right is to contribute in an active creative way as well as contribute in the way that is supporting you know that is your job right have you guys all been called upon to do this like what what is your role are you expected to pitch in a room uh on our show I'm uh, yeah I I have have been pitching in the room since close to the beginning I would say and I was fortunate enough uh, in season three to write an episode uh, for the show so it built from like one sentence a day to an entire episode sure. <laughs> yeah yeah I was, I was saying earlier it's like definitely learning how to read the room and when you're encouraged to pitch and it's sort of little by little by little you'll understand more of like oh there's an opening for me to say something right now oh my god finally (laughs) um and just jump on that and it's usually received well i would say from my experience well presumably if you have done your job as well (laughs) like up to that point people are going to be a lot more open to hearing from you I mean, I think the, the thing that comes up very often is, first and foremost, you need to do your job well. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think also one thing too is, you know, room to room, especially like first season shows and stuff, everyone's kind of still getting a feel for each other. And so you kind of want to, you know, be quiet and take your notes and not be, you know, um, uh, too out there. But um, <laughs> but one thing that I did um, on Emerald City is I did have a good relationship with the showrunner. I used to be his assistant. And so after the room would wrap, if I did have an idea that I felt like was worth sharing, I would do it afterwards. And um, and that kind of like built like a, a good relationship between the two of us where he he knew I was capable of pitching good ideas, but it wasn't uh, disruptive in the room. And then eventually would let me, you know, pitch in the room. And he actually ended up hiring me to write an episode. So, yeah, there are kind of ways that you can, you know, gauge it and still get your your opinions out there without um, without being disruptive. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's important. Some people maybe would go into the writer's room at the beginning whether they're assistants or PAs or staff writers, it's their first room, and they think, like, it's a good idea if the showrunner hears me talk every so often. (laughs) And um, I understand that logic, but that's, like, completely wrong. Uh, What you need to do is make sure that your batting average is really high. So don't pitch uh, things that are maybe good ideas. Save it until you... Like, when I first started, my rule was to never say anything. But then after that, my rule was you can say one thing a day. So uh, if it was 11.30, and I think I would think, oh, this is a... I've got a really great idea for this. Uh, Then I'd be like, but wait, is this... This would be my one thing, and it isn't even really lunch yet. So when 3 o'clock comes around, will I have a better idea? I'm sort of kidding, but I mean, I think it's a good sort of mental model that you should... Everything that you say should be something that's really contributing and really moving the story forward so that people are not like being like, oh, the writer's assistant's talking again type of thing. But instead of being like, oh, wow, that's a great idea, that type of thing. Yeah, I read a tweet once. I can't even remember who it was from, but it was like at the beginning of staffing season being like, gee, I wish that staff writer would talk more is something that no one's ever said ever. I think that was Josh Friedman. That was Josh Friedman. Actually, my... There we go. That makes sense. the guy in the Emerald City story. (laughs) (laughs) Because that is sort of true. Like, that is... And that is sort of the model that I take for myself. Like, it, it has to be a great, great idea. Or, alternately, I don't know about you guys, but... As, as a writer's assistant, sometimes you see holes before the writers do, right. and point those out as soon as you can. That's sort of like my rule: is like, don't say anything useless and be extra useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, why? Why are you seeing the holes before the writers? I think a just lot to of, give a feel for how the room works. Yeah, I think a lot of times they just get really excited about an idea, and at least with a half an hour comedy, you have such little time to tell a story and a lot of times they'll add in you know like a one two three extra steps that you're like that's not gonna work (laughs) what act does that go in Um, so it's yeah a lot of formatting things I think a lot of yeah accidental holes that they don't realize are there until you sort of take a step back from the board and you realize oh and it's my job to look at the board so it's it's helpful or even sometimes it'll be like something as far as, oh, we've done that episode before. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think also you have your notes in front of you and you're trying to organize it so that another human being can read it later. So you are thinking through these ideas in a way that maybe the writers are, they're fully engaging their right brain, they're creating things, and you're kind of engaging your left brain and you have to make sense of all of it. So, and then you're looking at your outline on your page and you're like, uh, yeah, there is no act out of two right now. Uh, and it's very obvious just because you're looking at it and they don't have the notes yet. So, For some of you, this is your first uh, 
writer's assistant job for some of you. You've been on a number of shows. But tell me about good rooms and being put to good use in the rooms. Faking it was the best room I've ever been in my entire what was life. It? Why was it so great? <laughs> um, our showrunner was spectacular, just as like a human being. He was a lovely person. Um, he encouraged all the assistants to speak up if they felt like they had something useful to say. And I mean, it was a show that I felt really passionately about because teen drama is sort of my thing. So it was a lot of talking about our high school experiences. <laughs> it was a lot of bonding and like talking about emotions and high school crushes, like just in a really helpful, useful way that was still, I, it was just like a warm, open, loving room. I think also, I mean, like when the showrunner has like authorship of the show, um, it's much easier for the writers and then the writer's assistant to then be able to, uh, you know, focus in on that. Um, so I think like that's the time uh, on shows that I've been on that have worked is when that showrunner really has that sense of authorship and can be a great leader. Because um, then, if the clearer they have that vision, the easier it is as the um, person that is supporting it to help it. Yeah, I also think you know when people un- both understand what the showrunners want, so they everyone understands what show they're making, and we're all making the same show. Uh, and when people feel like they're they have the opportunity to do great work or do their best work um, by being supported, but also because they're re- responding to the material and it's kind of gelling in a creative way, I think that's uh, one of the facets that can make a really really great room dynamic. Does it make the assistant's job easier? Um, or harder because everyone's contributing. I, I don't know. I, it definitely makes when the room is uh, like a positive and exciting and pleasant experience, and especially also when they're welcoming your contribution. I, yeah, then I think your day is much nicer. I mean, I don't think that the technical part of taking the notes is easier or harder, but uh, it's a much more fun way to spend eight or ten or twelve hours, five to seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about how you guys landed in your jobs or how you got your start as writer's assistants because these are difficult jobs to come by. Um, and Megan, let's start with you. Um, I was working on a show called Into the Badlands, and at the same time I was taking classes at UCLA Extension. And I had been with one of my teachers for maybe like five years. And the other writer's room assistant on When Calls the Heart had left the show without telling anyone. Like, he just disappeared one day. (laughs) (laughs) Did anyone Uh ever find him? I think he went back home. Like, eventually they they called him and they were like, so you're okay, though, right? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. But I'm just, like, gone. And so they scared him off. Um, So my teacher sort of took me aside and he's like, I know you're on this other show but uh, could you interview for the job, maybe? And I was like, yes. And so I interviewed for the job, and the showrunner was like, okay, we can hire you, but you have to promise us never to leave us. <laughs> At least for this one season, I said, absolutely. And so that's how I got the job. I just promised never to leave them. <laughs> um, I was an agency assistant before, and so after that I worked at a um, production company, and then through the same agency I heard about a showrunner's assistant job, or at least a, a writer with an overall deal. Mm-hmm. So I applied, and it really helped because um, the writer was looking specifically for someone with agency experience, just for like organizational needs and stuff like that. So I hung around with that show, with that writer for two years, so I was his assistant. And then um, he created the show, and the show got picked up, and then he promoted me to writer's assistant. Can, can we talk for a second about working at an agency? Sure. How was it? <laughs> I mean, what, it's, what were it's you like, doing, and how terrible was it? It's like it's it's 
I feel like it's something that's incredibly necessary. I don't know if Annie did, did you know? No. 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 Well, I think it's incredibly necessary. <laughs> but it's one of those things where he, I mean, he wouldn't have hired me unless I worked at an agency. I know a lot of people that got their jobs by working at an agency yeah. first, and it's it's terrifying, like at least from the beginning. It's like a job that no one wants, and I feel like I know a lot of people that unfortunately washed out of the business because they avoided that job, and then their resume didn't look so good looking for the next job. Um, that being said, it's like for for 12 months, it's completely manageable. It's like, you know, I mean, the biggest gripe I had is that I had to put a suit on every day, and I hate wearing a suit. They're hot. It's awful. So what were your responsibilities? What's that? What were your responsibilities? It's a lot of scheduling, and it's like, you know, the big, the big difference, I think, between being a showrunner's assistant and being um, an agency assistant is that showrunner's assistant, you are working for one boss. For agency, it's like you're working for that boss and all of his clients simultaneously. So it's a lot of that and a lot of, like, tracking meetings and setting pitches and stuff like that and also, like, you know, trying to track down money and, like, seeing who's getting, what client's getting paid and for how much and how, and where's it going to. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, I mean, I was dreading it, and now I look back on it and say it was a very necessary experience to get me here. Yeah, I will also say, having, I have not worked at an agency, but I've been in the position to hire PAs, uh, showrunner assistants, EP assistants, um, and... always like seeing agency experience is a huge plus uh in fact there have been some jobs like you mentioned with your boss that uh we were like well for this job we're only going to consider people who have agency experience so uh it is a huge deal and it's a huge advantage and there's a pretty high turnover too so they're a little more available the opportunity all all the time yeah Yeah, it's like you can work in the mailroom for three months and then a desk will turn up and then you know you hire onto that desk and then that desk represents ex-showrunner and then you ask him if they're looking for writer's assistant or an assistant for themselves. That happens all the time. Yeah, smart. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte? Um, I'm going to say how I got my writer's PA job because I think that's a more interesting... And I kind of want to talk about these different assistant jobs too at some point, but talk Um, about them. So I had graduated from USC and they sort of just looked like fly the coop. Bye. Good luck. Um, and everyone had always told me what a great, um, you know, mentorship program USC had. And then I found out that it was only for the screenwriting school and I was in the broader program. So I vented to my mom one day, as you do. Um, and she was like, okay, well, if you could have anyone as a TV writer mentor, who would it be? Um, and I just basically picked three writers who at that time were my be all end all. And it was Joss Whedon, Josh Schwartz and Kevin Williamson. And she was like, write them letters, like why they should be your mentor. And so I did. Um, and I magically found Kevin Williamson's email address on IMDb Pro. And I was like, there's no way this is real. <laughs> there's absolutely no way this is real. Uh, but I sent it regardless about, you know, why I should, you know, be his mentee. And it made it to his assistant at the time who had been a USC grad too. And we had a bunch of mutual friends in common. He was like, hey, we're staffing up our new show. Kevin has a brand new show on the CW do you want to interview for the writer's PA job? And I got it. So awesome. like, this is not never... the way to do it. <laughs> do not do it this way. You never know what could happen. Cause from your there... mom is awesome, by the way. <laughs> That's a great story. I know. I know she's awesome. She knows she's awesome too. But from what there, you, what I do you think they, they saw in you and what did you put in your letter? I mean, I'm very passionate in case you guys couldn't tell about teen television. Uh, and I basically just wrote about how, how Dawson's Creek made me want to be a writer. <laughs> and it did. I mean, Dawson wanted to be a showrunner, and I went to USC, and 
it sort of, you know, was really inspiring to me. And it, just the way that Kevin writes is really verbose and lush, and I love it. And that's the way that I wanted to write, too. And so... I was hoping that he would see something in my email in himself, um, which he clearly did not. I don't think he ever read that email. But his email. assistant did. But his assistant did. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it was pretty, pretty exciting. Cool. Did that lead to you getting a writer's assistant job directly or indirectly? Or? It, it, indirectly, yeah, because from there I stayed as the writer's PA. The show got canceled after one season, sadly, but I moved to another show on the CW through that same assistant, right. and from there I got promoted to writer's assistant on Heart of Dixie. Awesome. And then Carter was a a writer on Heart of Dixie, and he created Thinking It. So that's my trajectory. (laughs) But that is, I mean, there is something to, never mind the the breaking in part, which is going to be different for everyone, but to forming those relationships and proving yourself a a valuable member of the team. I would guess that all of us probably have a similar, uh, you know, trajectory. Almost everyone, you know, you get one job, and then that helps you get the next job and the next job and the next job, almost always. Uh, so what was your breaking in? So I uh, went to Florida State, and uh, <laughs> uh, we'll talk later. Uh, so uh, I, when I was at Florida State, I was a unit production manager for a guy named Eric Leong, who was a producer of a big, a fairly big budgeted short film. And uh, then we came out here uh, several years later, and he was working as the assistant to a producer named John Davis, who uh, is a huge feature producer who produced the first Predator movie and a hundred movies since. Uh, and he needed uh, like a third assistant, essentially. Um, and so I, he helped me get an interview for that job. I interviewed for that job. And then I became John's assistant for uh, about two years. Um, and I wanted to get into TV. And what me being in features was a terrible plan uh, because there was no <laughs> way to make that magical connection to move because he was never going to be in TV. And then he happened to hire a guy who was like, TV is the future and I'm, I'm going to make a TV show this year. And we were all a little skeptical, but that show ended up being The Blacklist. Um, so through a lot of hard work, but also incredible good fortune. I mean, I had no plan of getting on a TV show, but uh, we ended up making a TV show the first time John had ever made a TV show. So when that show um, was going through the pilot, I got to be kind of part of that process of writing the pilot and shooting it and then uh, when it got picked up to series I told my boss like look I love working for you but I want to be in TV and would you help me get an interview as a writer's assistant on this show and he said yeah I think you're awesome so I'll help you get an interview and I interviewed and got the job yeah very cool Joel. Um, well, I uh, started off as a post-production PA. Um, I went to film school at Cal State Northridge, and so as soon as I graduated, I was like, I will take any job anyone is willing to give me, and that just happened to be post, which I knew the least amount about. Um, and so, But the great thing about being a, a post-PA is you actually have a lot of access to the showrunner. So I was dropping off DVDs at the showrunner's house, and like, you know, kind of we would become friendly because they were always in post. Post and I would hang around, and um, and then I, uh, you know, eventually said to him, gained up the courage to say that I wanted to be a writer. So when the show came back for a second season, they interviewed me for the writer's assistant position, and I got it. What show was that? Uh, In Plain Sight. All right. Yeah, USA show, a while ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Megan's um, lovely boyfriend is actually, uh, <laughs> that's how we met, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you guys all touched on the organizational skills necessary to this job. Did you guys have these going in? Are these something you had to develop? You know, how do you sell 
that you have these skills in order to get the job. What were the interviews you like? You fake it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think anyone has these skills going in. I think they're so specific. I, I mean, at least I didn't. I think they're really finely tuned, and you develop them as the show goes on. You sort of figure out how to best organize it for your particular showrunner. I think yeah. everything is so specific to how the showrunner wants it, um, and you just learn over time. I mean, few people who are aspiring writers are like, well, my asset is I'm tremendously organized. I, it seems unusual. So, I mean, maybe some. But, yeah, I, I think just learning by doing and saying, like, look, I'm going to work really hard. I mean, I don't think that was necessarily a question in the interview, but more the intent of, like, is this person really focused and do they really care passionately about it? At least that's it seemed like what my showrunners were interested in. It also helps just knowing what they want. Like, I asked... I mean, I asked my boss, like, before I took over that job, what exactly he expected, and then our number two who runs our room had a little bit different ideas, so I just tried to incorporate both of them. But just by, like, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I shouldn't, like, bother them. They're writers. Like, I just sit there and I, like, type on my computer and take notes, and hopefully they'll read them. But, like, they prefer things, like, a very specific way sometimes, and sometimes you just need to, like, go and ask them, and then they they greatly appreciate that a lot more. Yeah, this is a tangent, but I will also say what you just said reminded me that um, another thing that I recommend, if you're ever a writer's assistant is when you're taking notes in the room let's say you're taking notes on episode 7 and episode 7 is going to be written by Joe Johnson I think it's a good idea to go to Joe Johnson and say now I'm writing notes that you will use to create a story and yes we both work for the showrunner but you're going to take my notes and turn it into a script an outline in a script so like what do you like what do you want to hear and sometimes they'll say some really specific things like when I pitch dialogue I'd like you to write it down exactly or when I pitch dialogue you don't need to write it down because I'm just vamping um, and I, so I think you know you both the showrunners and also whoever's writing that particular episode, they can give you a lot of really useful feedback as to what kind of notes to take. Yeah. And to that point, um, it's also really helpful if you can. Uh, some writer's assistants, you sit in a separate desk away from um, the table where all the writers sit. Um, I've been fortunate enough the shows I've worked on where the writer's assistant gets to sit at the table. And so when it is a particular writer's um, episode, I'll try and sit next to them to make sure that they can see my computer and, um, and they have access and, <laughs> uh, and I also uh, as far as the organization thing I am extremely organized um, and so and I think that that was something that when I got bumped up to writer's assistant from a post PA that was something that they took into consideration because it is you have to be so organized and really have like a passion for Excel and grids and like <laughs> in order to do the job well, on my show we don't you don't use Excel but I think the the you have to be able to know where everything is at all times and like at a moment's notice remember we did a, we were talking one day about an episode where there was a guy who was like a card shark I mean you need to be able to produce those notes instantly uh, and that was two years ago uh, and I think you know so you have to come up with a system of keeping all of your stuff together that really works for you yeah, and definitely have a fine-tuned memory for the show itself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, watch the episodes, see what actually makes it onto screen. Like, the longer a show goes on, so many script things don't make it to the final cut oh, yeah. in editing. Yeah. And you just need to know, like, yeah, that was in the script, but no, it never made it onto screen, mm -hmm. so that's not a plot point anymore. Sure. Yeah. 
for you guys, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, for example, on, I've, I've started doing that. I've started keeping lists of things that aren't even talked about in the room or aren't even finalized in the room that the showrunners just like talked about. So, for example, in Hope Valley, the city where the TV show takes place, there's We like, all know. We all watch. We all, we all, we all watch <laughs> When Calls the Heart on the Hallmark Channel, right? Um, Most of us contribute to the wiki. We all know. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's like 30 families, and they all have children. So whenever someone starts to write about a family, they're like, okay, so whose child is this? Are they married? Did they die in the mine disaster that happened in, you know, episode two? And so I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to make a list of all the children and all the parents. And so now that's like part of my job. That's not really part of my job is to update that and keep it, you know, that very organized. And so those like extra special things I think is really important or really at least considerate for a writer's room assistant to do. Can we talk about the various roles of the various assistants uh, that one might encounter uh, on a staff? Yeah. Yes. Why not? <laughs> um, well, I was just going to say, too, with Megan, with those those grids and stuff, we use all of the assistants. We all contribute to making those. Because, yeah. um, you know, it can be a burden for one assistant. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, in a typical writer's room, um, there are usually about four or five assistants. There's a showrunner's assistant, writer's room assistant, um, script coordinator, uh, writer's PA. Some shows also have researchers. Some shows also have interns yeah on, on our show we have a huge staff so we have two uh we have three executive producer assistants and then uh there are is a script coordinator and then two pas so those jobs to break them down like the the writer's pa you know you may might start out in the business being like a just a general pa or a set pa working on a set kind of as a gopher kind of doing whatever needs to be done picking people up at the airport bringing people craft service whatever but a writer's pa is a little bit more specialized you're in the writer's room and you're doing stuff to kind of that same type of thing but just for the writer's room to kind of keep the wheels turning in the writer's room and uh that is a, a really that's a good specifically job specifically you're getting lunch you're getting a lot like of lunch that's and, the most coffee. Important thing. and coffee and coffee <laughs> <laughs> and groceries the and groceries. keeping the groceries but I, the I mentioned organized. just you know because it's that's not a person who's sitting there taking notes necessarily yeah. it's more the things that the writers can't do because they're stuck in the room exactly okay. but it's a great great job Absolutely. to go for because giving a very specific example we had a great writers PA on the Blacklist season 3 a girl named Carly Woodworth she was great and also a terrific writer and uh, when we had a spinoff the Blacklist Redemption coming this spring uh, <laughs> Watch it. We uh, we needed a writer's assistant for that show, and she applied. I mean, it's tough because I think everyone is like, oh, I want to apply for your job, the writer's assistant job. And uh, you may be amazing, but I know Carly from getting me lunch every day for a year and also reading her stuff and talking to her and knowing she's really smart. So it was a real natural fit for her to get that job, and now she has that job. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, what are some of the other characters we'll encounter in an, in an office? <laughs> The showrunner's assistant. Yeah, what do they do? Uh, showrunner's assistant is the gatekeeper to the showrunner because mm-hmm. the showrunner is sort of everywhere. Um, and so the showrunner's assistant is, they're managing their schedule, they're managing the phones, they are like the moat around <laughs> the showrunner. Um, so basically they just tell them where they need to be, what they need to be doing, what they need to be wearing, some personal stuff. They do, you know, they're all over the place, but... It's, it's a good job because, you know, you form a relationship with a showrunner, 
then you can be like this kid. Who <laughs> no, I think a number it, of you have done this, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, think it, I think it incredibly helps. I mean, like, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we all ultimately want to be staff writers, but like, it, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes showrunners don't spend a lot of time in the room. Sometimes they do. Um, but for those who don't, it's like, if someone's like in my position, at least that I've had, you know, two, two plus experiences working with my, sh- two years working with my showrunner. So he knows me. He knows what I ultimately want to do. We, we've been through thick and thin together. So it's like, even though he doesn't get to spend all the time in the room, he knows to check up on me. He knows to ask other writers if I'm contributing. And it's, it's, it's definitely, um, I think it's definitely a way to go if you really ultimately want to become a writer. But that's just my thought. I mean, not everyone here. So when you were guys were developing the pilot, like what was a typical day like for you? Yeah. So when we were developing um, the pilot of our show, it's like my boss didn't have an office. So we worked out of his Hollywood Hills house, which was... <laughs> Fantastic, but um, but it was it was it was great because it's one of those things where like um, Josh, my boss, like really respected me enough to be in those meetings with the people he was bringing in to potentially write these ideas with, and so it was great that I could just sit there and like listen to them like pitch their ideas, and then when he ultimately chose a writer, Ali Hagen, um, who's fantastic. Um, I got to sit there and like basically function as like the de facto writer's assistant. So, but the beauty of that is that it's just two people. So of course, like I speak up, like there's no one else there in the room. So I got to have like direct input on that pilot, which was super nice. And also it showed, it showed my boss that like, this is ultimately what I want to do and I'm ready to help in any which way possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, you guys all mentioned the ultimate goal, which is to be writing television. Uh, we've heard about this, Conversation from the other side on this podcast. We've heard about from writers whose assistants have approached them. Tell us about it from your side. How do you let that be known? That that can be a tricky conversation to have. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> I will say. Um, so I, I mentioned it earlier. Josh Friedman was um, the uh, writer who gave me my first shot at writing a script. Um, during my interview with him, which was two years prior, um, one of the first things he said to me is, "I don't believe that my assistant should be uh, entitled to write a script." Um, not that. I would say no to it, but it's just, you know, assistants don't necessarily become writers. It shouldn't be the presumption. Exactly. And so, so I, from the get go, I was like, okay, that's uh, that's good to know. Um, and then uh, just continued to work hard for him, um, you know, for, for about a year, year and a half. Um, and, you know, developed that great relationship. We developed, um, you know, pilots for, for Fox and Universal. And then um, when he, uh, he got hired to run Emerald City, um, he asked if I wanted to, much like Jake, if I wanted to be the writer's assistant on it. Um, and so I, uh, you know, took that job and, um, and then, you know, I was kind of same thing, just worked very, very hard, um, you know, and, uh, made sure I was like very valuable to all the writers and knew that show as well as I could know that show and didn't bring it up to him, but I would, if I had an idea, I would pitch stuff, um, you know, and, and kind of, kind of put in some feelers out there, but, you know, knowing that he was very much, um, in charge of it and then uh one day it was a friday morning we were both in the kitchen together and he's like hey uh so i have a question for you do you want to uh write episode nine and i was like yeah (laughs) and so i think that you know that is one thing as as an assistant you do have to kind of be mindful of is you know um 
everyone knows that you want to be a writer. Like you wouldn't be here and trying to do this position if you didn't. Um, And so I think it's a matter of making yourself valuable so that people are more willing to give you that opportunity. That's great advice. Uh, I mean, the process for me, the episode that I wrote last season, was actually kind of different than that. I mean, I think a lot of the things are the same, which is like knowing the show really well and proving that you're smart and can help and contribute. But uh, I, you know, I talked to my bosses and they were really encouraging about the concept of me writing an an episode that season. Um, But there was not really... uh, it wasn't like the you know a moment where they were like here's the episode that's going to be episode 15 and you're going to be the guy that writes it for me it was much more like i had an idea that i knew that they liked uh, sort of the kernel of an idea that they had kind of signed off on and was like that could be an episode and i like on my own time like after work and on the weekends basically broke the story kind of by myself but also with the help of some of the other writers getting feedback um and i just sat i mean sat down with a whiteboard in the basement and broke the episode myself. Um, and it's, it's strange because that's not, no matter how good of a writer anyone is, it'd be, it's, our show is a very challenging show to break. It's not like any other TV show because there's sort of a semi-omniscient guy who brings us the case and there's a lot of things that you have to check, things you have to check off for every episode. So there's no way that I could have done that in season one. But by season three, I had been present for, you know, 50 plus episodes being broken every step of the way. So I was able to kind of be like okay so I know what they like and I know how all the the criteria that this has to uh, meet in order to potentially be an episode of the TV, uh, the show. So I broke the episode, and then I was like, "Look, guys, I you know you mentioned that you know you'd be open to this idea, and maybe open to me writing a script, and like if you want to come down into the basement, uh, <laughs> you'll find that there's an episode maybe waiting for you." So I went down, and then it was very nerve wracking because the entire staff was like, "Oh, Dave's going to pitch something." Uh, so the you know there was like 20 people downstairs being like, "This had better be good," type of thing, and. And uh, then I pitched it, and uh, you know, luckily it came out as something that was pretty close. There was some; they had some excellent and supportive notes, but they were very excited about the idea. And I got to write it as a script, and they shot it. So that's a big gamble, too. I mean, I do feel like the the more fully formed the thing you're presenting is, the more opportunity there is to say no. Yeah, exactly. They'll be like, "Yeah, that was a really great try." <laughs> <laughs> If you can let them use their imagination, <laughs> then they can fill in. Yeah, but I, I think that I, that's a hundred percent true. And, but I also think that I, that I had brought. I was confident because I mean it was the third season. Like had it been season one, I there's a, that would have a zero percent chance of success because they it would be the same as writing a, a spec episode of a show and then hoping to sell it to the show and have it air. It just seems very unlikely. But having been there for so long, I kind of I knew. What they, I mean, not that I nailed it 100%, but I knew in general what they like and what they didn't like, mm-hmm. and I felt very confident, like, I have prepared something for you that you will like. Uh, so I was able to pitch it actually with a lot of confidence, and uh, they were really responded to it. So, yeah, it was a high risk, but also I felt, like, pretty comfortable at that mm-hmm. point. Um, for all of you, have your bosses read your material prior to having written something specifically for them? And how did you broach that conversation? Uh, My showrunner asked if I had anything that I wanted to send him. So he straight out asked me if I wanted... At what point in the relationship? Uh, That was after two seasons of being the writer's assistant. So I had, you know, done a lot of keeping my nose down and pitching slowly. Um, Yeah, it was the very end of the season, and he basically was like, 
what do you have for me? Send me something. <laughs> I want to read it. Um, so, and what did you have? Had you written yeah, your own pilot? I did. Um, I had I had a pilot that I didn't feel like was right to send to him because it was a little darker and it was on a half an hour comedy. So the only comedy that I had was a half an hour uh, Broad City spec. <laughs> um, but luckily he really liked it. So <laughs> it was it was a good experience all around. And then from there, he gave me more and more opportunities. And he actually offered, uh, we had a web series spinoff. So I got to write the web series Great. and do all that That's fun cool. stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah. So it's sort of like a slow growing mm-hmm. opportunistic thing. <laughs> Let me ask you, you know, it sounds like for all of you, the job is all consuming. You know, your life revolves around this show and these people. So at what point did you write your Broad City spec and the other pilot? And (laughs) when do you guys do this other stuff? And how important is it to do that other stuff? The answer is very Really important. Really important. important. (laughs) And early mornings and late nights. Yeah. Weekends. Weekends. Yeah. Yeah, writer's rooms traditionally start at like 10 a.m., which is nice. So then you have to get in at like 8.30 and everything to make sure everything's ready. So at the very least, though, you have at least an hour a day, which is nice. And you just have to like hunker down and use it. But besides that... Yeah, weekends. You you just have to do it also because yeah. like if you are a writer's assistant and you want to be a writer and you are not writing your own original pilot, then like you might as well just move back home. It, I mean, because <laughs> you're creating an opportunity for yourself that you're then not going to be able to deliver upon. Yeah, yeah. and also I will say hiatus. Yeah, <laughs> hiatus. Um, and also, just like being in the room is very inspiring because you're around all these amazing minds all day. And so, even though you are exhausted and it is all-encompassing and you are, you know, typing for so long, um, I always felt for me like I would be so inspired by it. And so, um, yeah, get up early. Yeah, absolutely. Like, also, our our showrunner, during hiatus, she wrote a movie, and I was like, wow, did you do that? (laughs) What did you do during hiatus? (laughs) I I also wrote, but not nearly as much as her. So it it was was inspiring. It's It's right. It's very inspiring to be around other writers, and that definitely helps you stay motivated to write on the weekends, too. So it it helps keep that going. Another thing is that it makes the the idea of creating something that then gets put on TV very tangible. Like, um, when you're just in a coffee shop and you're not around professional writers, it can feel like you're just sort of screaming into the void. But then you're on, you know, on our show, we'll have people that develop stuff and they'll be like, oh, I'm working on this project. And then, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I sold that project NBC. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we ordered the pilot. And now the thing that they were talking about as an idea a year ago is now a television show. So to be around that, I mean, uh, you know, I was around Jake's boss in a year that they sold three, four, four, four shows yeah. um, that all started out as ideas that he just pitched to us like in a single sentence. Yeah. And now they're, you know, they all move forward. So that's incredibly inspiring. And you can also use your fellow assistants as like motivation too. Like so a lot of the shows that I've been on, we've kind of formed our own like writers groups. So like we kind of motivate each other. Where we're like, okay, once a month, we're going to like have these pilots that we're all going to sit down, pitch each other ideas, give each other notes and stuff. And so, and you're around each other all the time. So it, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm curious to hear, I mean, Charlotte, it's, it's fortuitous that you had both the material and the awareness to know what to give your showrunner. Yes. Right? You found one of your scripts was too dark, but luckily you had this other script. I'm curious to hear from the rest of you about what kind of material you work on on your own and whether or not in your mind it's... Uh, 
for the should this opportunity arise well when um when i sat down with my boss for the interview the like one of the things he laid on the table is that he will read my script but you have to be on the desk for a year so i knew i had to get a year under my belt and then he would read my script which is like what more can you ask for i mean i mean he's promoted previous assistants to staff writers so i know that this is a very big possibility it kind of um, takes the anxiety away it from does it, it does yeah. and also um throughout that year you know you learn about exactly like what he what he likes to like read and it's like so like he's he's a huge like broadcast network guy so you kind of understand like what he you know his story sense and whatnot and then I was starting to work on things that would be more except I mean more like that he would understand just because I mean like yeah it's like I don't really like maybe I don't really want to write like CBS procedurals but like that's something that's right in his wheelhouse so why would I give him my dark HBO spinoff you know like (laughs) what else can I do what about the rest of you my stuff is definitely not Wind Calls of the Heart. <laughs> so it might be a little bit awkward if the showrunner ever read my stuff. But um, I do also, I, I love, as well as Charlotte, the teen dramedy stuff. So there, there's a lot of that in there, too. And uh, our showrunner also talks about finding the heart in what you write. And so there's, there's a lot of heart in there, too. So maybe it won't be so bad when she starts reading, like, my thriller dramas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if the stuff that I'm developing is like on my own. Is uh, it's not necessarily similar to the blacklist or different, but I mean, you know, obviously, just being surrounded by the show all the time, it like influences the way I think now. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that would affect how much they respond to the material or not. But you don't have the audience in mind as you're working. You mean like have my bosses as... No, I mean, I I have the opportunity also, even in... And I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but like in season one, and especially in season two and, and beyond... Not necessarily the showrunner, but writers. Say a writer was writing an episode, they may come to you and say, hey, how would you like to do uh, the first draft of this stupid procedural scene where we're just talking? Um, You know, just to kind of, you know, get your feet wet type of thing. And so if I would write that first draft for them and they would read it and be like, this is really good, then they would go to my bosses and say, hey, he did a really good job on that scene. Um, So then they maybe start asking me to see, you know, drafts or early takes of things and they're reading the outlines that I'm writing. So I think that more is what demonstrated maybe that I was able to kind of Right in the voice of the show and that type of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's like the web series stuff that you got to do. I mean, there are yeah. these opportunities that come up, and it feels like the lesson very often is say yes to all of them. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. though it's more yes. work. <laughs> uh, do you guys have questions? Um, in the meantime, I want to ask you guys a delicate question about the politics of the room. <laughs> you know, this is something, again, we've heard the other side uh, from staff writers to showrunners, and both the hierarchy and the personalities that are involved. What does a writer's assistant do uh, to keep him or herself safe? I think the best thing you can do is just to stay out of it, but be aware of all of it. Yeah. (laughs) Great answer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'll (laughs) accept. I'm going to hold this mic. Uh, I had two questions. One was if... um, having your positions has affected your ability to get an agent for yourself? And the second question is, uh, can you tell, if you're on a show from season to season, 
pretty much who's going to get fired and why. <laughs> and, and who from your staff is going to get fired next <laughs> yeah. uh, To answer the first one, no. Um, but I think it's changed a lot recently. It seems no, like now... No, it hasn't helped No, it, ha- it, it hasn't helped yet because it's, I think it's changed a lot in the last couple of years where you know it used to be where um, you submitted stuff to agents and then you got your agent then your agent got you your first job. Now there are so many TV shows out there and so many writers assistants and whatnot. And then, yeah, like, like there's been meetings that like I've taken... I've done some meetings. I know, Dave, you've done some meetings before in the past. But now it's, it seems like agents expect you to get your first job. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really yeah. true. And that's, why, and that's why I think right now, especially, like, I think the writer assistant route is so the best way to go. And I think you guys have all made a right decision to at least consider it. Because I've had friends who, you know, coming out of film school, like, didn't really want to work that route. They wanted to sit in, like, their Los Feliz little bungalow and, like, write their little spec episodes and, like, hope that they get, like, staffed that way. But I don't think that's a possibility anymore. Yeah, if it is, it's really, that'd be really it's hard. It's really rare. Yeah. So, so maybe, yeah, it hasn't helped me, like, get an agent, but I think that I don't, I, it's very tough to get an agent before you get your first job now, especially in television. Absolutely. But I will say um, that having those connections and the writers that you work with, um, when I did get my first job and I needed an agent, um, it was those connections that they just made one phone call and then I was repped at UTA. So it's important. Uh, we, didn't, we missed the second question. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, are you attuned to who's getting fired? Oh. Oh, oh, not really. <laughs> it's same thing. Stay out of it, but think, be aware yeah, of think, all of it. I think it's sort of impossible to tell, and, and you don't want to even speculate about it. I think that nobody wants to fire anyone. Your bosses never want to fire anyone. At least mine don't. So yeah. it's kind of, yeah. Hi. Uh, I was curious about uh, what's like a starting rate for a writer's assistant? Ooh. Um, I think it varies by studio. Um you're not going to be making a ton of money. It's low. Yeah. It's low. Um, I think I'm pretty comfortable saying, like, yeah. Like a weekly salary? Like, yeah. Like $750? How about a yearly yeah. salary? Yeah. Like uh, maybe $35,000 a year or, or $40,000 a yeah, year. Yeah, between thirty five and forty a year. Yeah. And we've heard, too. I mean, Megan was saying, like, she's on a basic cable show, which is a very different budget from some of these, like, from The Blacklist or something, which is Yes, I'm guessing budget. that I make less than my brother. <laughs> yeah. It's also, like, if you're on a show, uh, this may seem self-evident, but if you're on a show that is going to only be going from June to December, mm-hmm. then in January you may not have a job. Yeah. Uh, so then your annual salary, unless you start some other job, is going to be half. So right. that's a consideration. Do they at least buy you guys lunch? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. I, yeah I get lunch. But the writers don't get lunch. The or writers, just you. The writers also do not get lunch. Okay, uh, okay. I, I, I just want to make sure that But I, I did talk to, you know, the people that be, and so now they do buy us craft. So uh, we do get good. snacks this year. So it's, we're working on it. <laughs> what software do you use to take and organize your notes? Ooh. Text Boring edit. question. What? <laughs> text edit. Text edit. Uh, about the rest of you? I, I agree. I, I use text edit too. My sister and I are super nerds and we believe in text edit. But I also think that, um, at least on my show, it's up to your showrunner, but I try and get into final draft as fast as possible. Like, especially like if beats are being written on the board, I personally see no reason to not move into final draft because eventually it will be turned into an outline. And if you're in final draft, the writer can just write from your final draft document and start writing the outline. So mm-hmm. I believe in that. 
I shouted word. Hi. I didn't know that there was a difference between a writer's PA and a writer's assistant. So being a, would you say, because I've heard that like you go from like a, you can try for like an office PA, then you go to like a writer's PA type of thing, or is like a writer's PA like tangible to just kind of like jump in? I think it depends. Um, I think that some people get hired as a writer's PA right away. Some people start off as office PAs, then get transferred over to a writer's PA. Um, In my case, I went from a post PA to a writer's assistant and skipped the writer's PA entirely. So it's just whatever um, the showrunner is comfortable with that position. But if your question is, if you can, can you move from a like an office PA to a writer's PA to a writer's assistant, like you definitely can do that because my friend yeah. Carly just did that. Yeah. Uh, and it's, again, it's good as you guys were saying before to be in the mix at all. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, make yourself valuable in any role, right? And yeah. then you see what opens up. Yeah, and if someone is getting lunch and putting the, my friend Brandon has a thing where he's like, uh, if your job is to put the cokes in the fridge and you don't do a good job of putting the cokes in the fridge, then I'm not going to trust you to like yeah. write the first draft in an outline for me. <laughs> I, I think Absolutely. it's it's a little snarky, but it's also really true. Yeah. That's true. I was just curious, as you said, this is room to room, but like in terms of daily, like what is the biggest challenge, like? You've talked a lot about organization, but like, what's something like you say these days can go to like twelve hours? Like, what what's like that hard moment? Uh, I mean, there's always there's always moments. I mean, from a, like a story perspective, it's like if if something's not working in the room, like you can feel like the morale. Like yeah. it's very. I mean, it's also it's also this great thing where it's like the the highest points in the room. Like yeah. you're a part of it, and it's like it's like nothing can beat that. But like when the low moments hit, it's just that's those are really tough because then you want to come back the next day and just like do better and help the room in any which way you can. So. It's it's more of a collective feeling in terms of me in terms of the yeah. hardest days in the room. Yeah, it's definitely being like a support system yeah, for the much. writers when they are really stuck and mm-hmm. you have to yeah deal with that and help buoy the morale in the room as well as yeah. keep yeah, talking I'm ve- in circles. I'm very good at saying that ev- on the bad days, I'm very good at saying that every pitch that someone makes is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just, like just just anything that will help them like get going, like get out of a funk because like those those days come. Uh, I will say specific to a writer's assistant, though, um, I think as soon as they're done uh, pitching an episode and the showrunner signs off on it, um, the writers are usually like, yay, we're done with the episode. And like the writer's like, I have to go off and write. But that's when the writer's assistant's uh, real work really begins. Yes, great point. Mm -hmm. So when uh, a show's done or a show gets canceled, uh, what do you guys do if, you know, something doesn't happen for a while? Like, what do you do in the times between shows or hiatuses that last a little too long? Hey, I'll take this one. (laughs) Um, So basically, as you know, with any show, it does end. Um, But for me, I was really lucky. I found a freelance writing job uh, right off the bat because I love pop culture. And so I found a freelance pop culture writing gig to you know, contribute to, and there, you know, lots of really good time to work on your own stuff. Sadly, that does not pay you, um, but definitely with lulls between shows, it is the best time to be working on your own stuff and 
be really proactive about it because yeah. you have the time for the first time. Absolutely. Sometimes upper level writers, like on a hiatus, are uh, going to get like deep into development, and they can hire you. Also, I've had jobs like that uh, to either take notes or to just collaborate with them on moving the story forward. And the you know our hiatus is very short; it's like five and a half weeks. Um, but in that time, uh, you can get work maybe with the writers that are in development. Do you? shake those trees of the writers that you have worked with in the past to see what they're doing and how do you initiate that conversation? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have just, I would reach, I mean, I, I try and stay in touch with, uh, you know, friends who are uh, writers of all levels, but upper level writers who are, um, you know, you know what projects they're working on and what they're developing. So I, it, I think it's better instead of sending like out, sending out one email a year being like, hey, can you hire me? But to be part of the conversation from the beginning and if they're developing something exciting, be excited about it because it can be legitimately really fun. Development's all just like unicorns and sunshine and ideas. Um, so being part of that and then kind of, you know, Hey, you know, uh, our season's winding down. Uh, is there any opportunity maybe for me to come on and help you out for six weeks? That type of thing. Uh, can you speak to any of the challenges of transitioning from like a drama room to a comedy room? And if that transition is something that is easy to navigate? Um, it happened really naturally for me. Um, I guess Heart of Dixie is not really like a serious dark drama, but... Uh, it was just through the creator was one of the writers on Heart of Dixie, and I just knew that that was the direction that I wanted to go in. Um, but I know that every sort of brand of show is its own different universe. Like, I just worked on a network pilot as well that was a comedy, and that was so, so, so different from the cable comedy. Um, and it's, it's a lot more fluid just because there is so much television right now like there's so many shows I think it is a lot easier to do do all of it I know that there used to be a very very strict divide between drama and comedy and I don't really think like that exists anymore what is on TV these days? What are you guys watching on television? Let's start with Megan and work this way. iZombie. I love it so much. And Supergirl. They're my favorites right now. Uh, the Get Down. Because yes. it's amazing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, I'll watch it on repeat. Yeah. When, I just, when it's done, I just go back and watch the first episode again. Those last 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. If you guys uh, haven't seen it, watch The Get Down. Netflix. <laughs> uh, crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. Ooh. In my room, we're really obsessed with Rick and Morty, and we we, we don't just not like watch one episode, but like we'll watch two episodes at lunch, like every day, over and over again. Uh, and then we also just started watching Atlanta, and I I think it's yeah. awesome. Oh, so yeah. good. So. Uh, You're the worst. I think is one of the best shows on TV right now. Um, yeah. Please give everyone a round of applause. Thank you guys for being here. Now leaving Nerdist.com.